Welcome. Above all, just welcome to the family of God. We're so grateful to have you join us today for worship. We're continuing in our study on the book of Acts. We left it with Barnabas last week at the end of chapter 4. We're going to pick it up today in chapter 5. This is a sermon that you rarely hear preached from the pulpit. Not an easy sermon to preach, but it's one that's necessary. The Bible begins at chapter 5, verse 1 with this day. But a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you have received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events. I have great friends. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I've got one who's a dear friend of mine who... Uh, Years ago, we were discussing this particular passage. He is an ambulance driver. And I told him, I said, you know, when you look at Ananias and Sapphira and that account of them, you know the church is going to experience a great revival when you see an ambulance at the door of the church. I didn't think much else about it. Next thing I know, there's a few weeks went past, and I'm in the middle of a sermon preaching, and I see out of the windows of the worship center an ambulance at the front door, and the lights are on. It's an emergency, and I'm thinking, who died or who hurt, who fell ill or did somebody get injured? This is going on in my head as I'm preaching, and so as I look at the back at where at the entry door to the worship center. I see my friend stick his head in and smile at me and go. (laughs) And then he left. So that afternoon, I called him up and I said, was something wrong at our church? And he said, no. I said, but your ambulance was at the front door and the lights were on. He said, I know. I said, well, what were you doing? He said, I was trying to get a revival started. That's the kind of people that God has put at my side from time to time. And if his daughter sees this, she just knows how much I love her. I I had the privilege of marrying his daughter and 
his son-in-law together years ago, and they're just precious people to me. But here we are. Take yourself back 2,000 years to where the early church has just begun. Oh, we, we've just had Pentecost, and, and Peter preached that great sermon, and, and there were thousands of men being baptized that one day. And the Bible says they met together every single day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. It was an awesome time to be alive and, and well and be a follower of Jesus Christ. And there were people coming down the aisle every single day. The Bible says daily they were being added, those who were being saved. Uh, people coming into their fellowship that had just committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And, and it was a revival environment. It was an atmosphere that was electric with the Holy Spirit. And then we see where the Bible says every day they continue to meet together. They sell their possessions and goods and gave to anyone as they had need. And then we come forward after Peter and John were uh, coming back from their time where the, the lame man was healed. And they were uh, talking about all the things that had happened. And that, that electric atmosphere continued on. And then we read where Barnabas entered the picture. The Bible says all the believers were in one heart and mind and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. They shared everything they had. And the Bible says there was much grace upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. There, From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and the, laid them at the apostles' feet and the proceeds of the sale were distributed among those who really had need. Then we see Barnabas, son of encouragement. The Bible says he's a Levite from Cyprus. The apostles called him Barnabas because that means the son of encouragement. Sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, you're Ananias or Sapphira. You're sitting in that environment. And you've been watching this for days. You see how people turn their lives over to the Lord and the celebration continues. And people are cheering the Lord and they're giving him the honor and the glory that he so richly deserves. And then you see people begin to, to through tear-filled eyes perhaps, or, or through a joyous heart, come and, and present some of their assets or their property or their possessions to the Lord. And some of them sell it and bring the money and, and present it to the apostles and the apostles are so excited. So Ananias gets with his wife, Sapphira. And he says, I got a good idea. I like this attention these people are getting. Ananias and Sapphira were probably public personalities. I'm thinking, and I'm thinking also that they were the kind of people that really liked the spotlight being on them. You know people like that, especially those in the church. They liked they like acclaim, they like the spotlight, they like recognition, they like to be honored. So Ananias says to Sapphira, I got an idea. You know that land that we haven't been able to move lately? Why don't we sell that? I, and, and Sapphira says, well, you know there's some needs that I'm, I'm, maybe I need to go shopping or some of these other things. He says, 
I got a, in my idea, why don't we give a portion? Because it's money that the church doesn't have anyway. They wouldn't know. Who would know? If we kept back a portion of it for our own benefit, for our own use. Who would know? She said, well, that's a good idea. Why don't we do that? And so they agreed together. It was a conspiracy of sorts. And so, here they are. Now, interestingly enough, you have Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, and you've got Ananias, who that word comes from the Hebrew, Hananiah, which means God is gracious. Then you have Sapphira, whose name means beautiful. So here you have the son of encouragement followed by the children of discouragement. The way everything is just going so positive for the church at that time. It's new, it's, it's in its infancy, it's growing, it's mushrooming people throughout the Roman Empire, much less Jerusalem and its environs are beginning to hear about what the Lord is doing. And now you see chapter 5 starts out, but a man named Ananias and together with his wife Sapphira. Well, that but statement is there on purpose and I like it. It's not in... Uh, NIV or some of the others, but it's in most of the translations. Anytime you see where God's people have been uh, under certain types of stress or, or torment or torture or, or travail, then you see, but God. But God. God. But God intervened on their behalf and changed the circumstance and the situation. Now, this but is inserted for Satan's benefit. Because any time a church begins to grow or expand or do things for the glory of God, Satan comes in to detract from our mission. But there was a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. But, in other words, we had these people that weren't really in lockstep with what the Lord was doing in the church. So they thought they could take a shortcut. Now there are three things that I want to leave with you today from this sermon. First of all is the pretense. The greatest problems, one of the greatest problems in the church today is the pretense being portrayed by so many of their Christian followers. I don't care what denomination, it doesn't matter what church you're in, you're going to have the pretenders. And Jesus dealt with the hypocrites. You know the word hypocrite is a word in the Greek that is used of a Greek actor on the Greek stage. The Greek actor would wear a mask, pretend to portray a role that he really wasn't, but it was his role, it was his portrayal of that particular character on the stage. And that's what the word hypocrite comes from. It's not referring to somebody who's really trying to do something for the glory of God with his, his or her whole heart and yet falls short. That's not a hypocrite. It's not talking about a sinner. It's talking about somebody who goes out and knowingly portrays a role of which they are not. So here, this hypocrite, Paul Eldridge said, we mold our faces to fit our mask. 
pretending to be something we are not. I came across a story some time ago of a pastor, a preacher from out of state that accepted a call to a church in Houston, Texas. Some weeks after he arrived, the story goes, he had an occasion to ride the bus from his home to the downtown area. When he sat down, he discovered that the driver had accidentally given him a quarter too much change. As he considered what to do, he thought to himself, you'd better give the quarter back. Uh, It would be wrong to keep it. Then he thought, oh, forget it. It's only a quarter. Who would worry about this little amount? Anyway, the bus company gets too much fare. They'll never miss it. Accept it as a gift from God and just keep quiet. When his stop came, he paused momentarily at the door. Then he handed the quarter to the driver and said, Here, you gave me too much change. The driver with a smile asked, Aren't you the new preacher in town? (laughs) Yes, he replied. The bus driver said, Well, I've been thinking a lot about lately, about going somewhere to worship. I just wanted to see what you would do if I gave you too much change. I'll see you at church on Sunday. When the preacher got off the bus, he literally grabbed the nearest light pole, held on and said, Oh God, I almost sold your son for a quarter. Well, the reality is, folks, that you and I are the only Bibles that some people will ever read. We are the only Christians in our post-Christian culture that some people will ever get to know intimately and personally. So, is our lives out of context or not? Are we filled more with pretension, hypocrisy, reality? Do they see a real personification of the Word of God when they look at us? Can they hear what we say, watch what we do, experience what we experience, and know that the Lord reigns over each and every one of us? Or is it simply pretension? Is it simply hypocrisy? Well, you're sitting there today. Which of the three do you begin to relate to more? Is it Ananias? Is it Sapphira? Maybe. It's Barnabas. Well, the second thing I want you to know out of this is the accountability. You know, understand that nobody was under coercion to give anything. Now, you're not under coercion in this church family to give anything, to be anywhere. There's no coercion. We're not going to call you up and demand certain things. That's not the way we do things. It's between you and the Lord. Uh, you give a tithe, you say you tithe. You, you give an offering, you say you gave it. I take it at face value. I have no earthly idea what anybody gives at any time. I don't know. I don't want to know, quite frankly. But here's the thing. God knows. God knows what we have been given by Him for His glory, and He knows whether or not we're willing to share a portion of that for His glory. I don't know. I know it in my life, and I know that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account of my life on planet Earth as to how I began to relate to His resources 
with which he gave me. He blessed me. It's none of it's ours. It's all going to remain here after we leave planet Earth. It's all going to stay in the hands of somebody else who's going to be required by God to give an account of themselves as well. And we have an accountability factor to the body, the, the family of God, the church body. You know, it's a matter, it comes down to a matter of stewardship. Antonio Stradivari, who is the famous maker of the Stradivarius violin, said, if my hands slacked, I should rob God. Stewardship is just that. It's saying, if my hands slacked, I should rob God. If God has given me these resources, this body, this mind, these instincts, these resources that he's blessed me with, and I don't use them for his glory, I'm going to be held accountable. I am going to be held accountable. Because that accountability factor is one that we need to be acutely aware of. You're going to be held accountable. Peter said to Ananias and to Sapphira, you had land. We didn't ask you to sell it, but you sold it. We didn't ask you to give the money, but you gave it. But you told us that you gave the full price tag of the land being sold. You didn't have to do that. That's your problem. And you lied to the Holy Spirit. Obviously, Ananias and Sapphira had come to know the Lord, and we assume that because he lied to the Holy Spirit, as she did. And they succumbed to the wiles of Satan. Hmm which is going to be my third point, temptation. Strong Christians are tempted. Satan was telling him, you know, you got the Holy Spirit in one ear. It's working in, internally in Ananias and Sapphira. And then you got Satan over here. And the Holy Spirit is saying that it would be a great thing. If this is what you want to do, if you, this is what you feel led by, by the Lord to do, this is wonderful. And Satan says, I got a better idea. Let me show you how you both can be happy and come out of this thing smelling like roses. Oh, they'll love you, church. You'll be given a a large portion of money that that they don't have now and can be used for the glory of God and, and for the needs of the congregation, the church body. Oh, man, they will they will celebrate you. They'll praise your name. The spotlight will be on you. You can bask in its glory. Wow. So the Bible tells us in Genesis 3.1 that Satan is the most subtle of all God's creations. He does exist, yes, and he is subtle. Some translations talk about him not only being subtle, but being manipulative, being Uh, subversive. Now, the thing of it is, is Satan's not going to get a whole lot of traction by standing out in the parking lot throwing rocks at our church building. But where he does get traction is by uniting with us. Man, there you go. Satan is going to come into that Bible study or that, that worship time or that prayer meeting that's gathered, and he's going to join in. And that subtle, that deceptive character that he is, he is going to just work his way into the congregation and begin to divide us against one another. That's how he works. 
Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A church family divided against itself cannot stand. And so Satan works his wiles in each and every situation. You see, he is going to use good to become the enemy of the best. Now, you're sitting here thinking, and I have it's been working on me all week, believe me. Satan says to us all the time, you know, good is good enough. You don't need to be you're at your best. What do you want to be at your best for? And when you're at your, at your good point, you're better than most of the people you know. I mean, look at your neighbors. And we begin to compare ourselves with one another. Look at the other people. You know, you're there on Sunday morning. You're there Sunday night sometimes. <laughs> you're there Wednesday night. So you're, you've joined in with the Bible study. You, your good is better than most people's best. So you're good. And Satan begins to allow us to negotiate with the Lord. You know, Lord, I must be pretty good. Satan says I am, though we don't recognize him as Satan. That voice inside me says, I'm pretty good. I'm not reaching your standard, Lord, and I'm not reaching the standard that you have set for me. I'm not using your resources to the best of my ability and to the greatest of your glory. I'm not even, I'm not even involved in the church family as much as I could be. But I'm there enough, right? Right, Lord? Right? And we're waiting for an answer. Satan says, right on, dude. Good is better than best. Satan says, God says, no. When you came to me, you offered me your heart, mind, soul, and body. Two greatest commandments that Jesus told them was simply that. What are the great what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Well, there are two. They're just like one another. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy body, and all thy strength. The second is just like it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Upon these two, they summarize the 1,800 laws that were in the Old Testament. They summarize the Ten Commandments. First four, man's relationship with God. Next six, man's relationship with man. Love God first, love your neighbor. So we have compromised with the Lord on what he requires. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. It's Basic requirements, folks. You see, but Satan's a liar. Jesus identified him in John 8, 44 as a liar and the father of lies. He deceives. He kills. He destroys. That's what he does. That's who Satan is. He lies. And he loves it when you do the same. So, here we are. We lie to ourselves a lot, don't we? I mean, we really do. Boy, that was really good. Man, that prayer, that was probably one of the greatest prayer. Oh, man. Jesus looked at the three areas of hypocrisy among those religious leaders. There was prayer. They loved to pray. 
standing in the synagogue. They love that spotlight. Man, they pray those eloquent prayers. And we kind of shrink in the pew and think, I could never pray like that. Wow. Or they give alms. And when they give it, they give it very loudly and with a lot of promotion. I'm going to give you this check. I expect it to be used for a certain purpose. And the church body applauds. Jesus says, when you give alms, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Just give it in, in quietly between you and the Lord. Why? Because who are you going to stand in front of one day and be accountable for? Well, and then there's fasting. Oh, those who, who love the spotlight, love to go around with, with ash, sackcloth and ashes and a long face and people would look at them and they knew they were down in the dumps. What's wrong with you? I'm fasting. You know, they I'm fasting. Well, aren't you religious? Aren't you spiritual? We do that because we like the spotlight on ourselves. We like people to see our spirituality. We wear it on our sleeve. And that's, but yet, behind the scenes, we're not so spiritual. We're not so gentle with other people. Satan is happy when that happens, but God's not. Peter said, you didn't have to give the land to us. You didn't have to give the money to us. We, God's going to provide for us. You did this in agreement with God, and yet you lied not only to the Holy Spirit, but to the Lord. And ultimately, you lied to the church body. Well, who do you most closely identify with today? Is it Ananias? Is it Sapphira? Is it Barnabas? Maybe it's even Peter. The question is asked of you, have you, have you been satisfied with giving God good and not your best? Have you been self-satisfied with, with just getting by spiritually? Maybe comparing yourself with other people and not with God's own measurement? Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you followed him faithfully in, in public profession of faith, scriptural baptism by immersion? Are you looking for a church family? This is an opportunity for you to come forward. Well, for all of us, it's an opportunity for spirit of rededication. And I pray that if there's any one of you here presently or online that is watching this particular worship experience who would like to talk to me either here personally make an appointment with me call me on the phone talk to me about this decision of yours what the Lord is leading you to do whatever the case might be I'm available to you whenever you need to talk I'm available to you let me know would you stand with me in prayer Our most gracious Father, we thank you for this time you've given us, for this blessing that is ours in Jesus Christ. Lord God, search our hearts. Try our reins to give every one of us according to the fruit of our doings. Father, forgive us for allowing good to become the enemy of the best. Forgive us for 
putting forth a half-hearted effort when we serve you and serve others. Forgive us for not allowing ourselves to become that living sacrifice that you expect us to be. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the decisions that have already been made this morning, for those that will be made in the moments and days yet to come. Be with us now, Lord. May we honor and glorify you above all things. Father, you so richly deserve it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I pray that as you leave this building that you'll draw closer to the Lord and that you'll give him your absolute best. May the Lord be with you each and every day.